it's been great, but it's been a process. And I want people to understand, well, no matter what it is that you're going to do, especially if you're doing it on your own, it's going to be a process. There's going to be days where you're going to feel like you quit, like you want to quit. There's going to be days where you feel like you don't want to do it anymore. But then there's going to be days where you're going to wake up and that's all you think about. Take advantage of those days. Welcome to Someone Like You, a podcast that highlights the experiences of women, immigrants, and people of color who are building empires, creating amazing things, and changing the world. Here, we celebrate underrepresented stories and unheard voices. Jason Taylor is a filmmaker, photographer, mentor, and coach. On this episode, we talk about trusting the process, ministering through your work, creativity as a coping mechanism, giving women the credit we deserve, and navigating identity as a proud Afro-Latino. Hey! Liz! What's up? What is going on? How are you? I am doing wonderful. I'm doing great. Cool. So um, we'll get started. So first, just tell me, what was your your childhood like? You grew up here in LA, right? Yes, I did. Okay. So what was it like? What were you like as a kid? Uh, I was actually a quiet kid, ironically. I was very uh, isolated. I stayed to myself for the majority of, of the time. Um, I did more, I was more creative as a child than I am as an adult, only because I was curious when I was, when I was younger. But it was also like a safe haven because um, my childhood wasn't the best. I mean, my, my mom worked at the school that I went to. So I would see my mom at school and at home. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my dad was, he worked retail. He worked at Savon's ironically before they got rid of that. Um, and he was always working. He was what my mom considered a workaholic. Okay. So he used to always work. My mom would, you know, I always see my mom. My grandmother also worked at the same school. Then on top of that, my aunt did drills at that school. My brothers went to that school. My cousins went to that school. So I was always surrounded by family, but when it came to like my own household, there was issues with my mom and my dad. And then they ended up getting a divorce. And it was just a bunch of craziness because I used to love being around my dad. And then after the situation happened with my parents, my dad wasn't around. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was like, okay, well, my dad's not here. So what can I do? And I just started to figure things out for myself and, you know, started to do creative. So like, you know, started to be creative. So I think at nine years old, I, I, I created a play for my church and that was like my first branch off at like being creative and doing something without even realizing that's what I'm going to end up doing 30 years later, like 20 years later. Wow. That's amazing. Did, uh, did your parents encourage that in you? Were they creative people? Like, where do you think that creativity came from? I think the creativity came from just me being curious. Like my dad, he was always, he was always into computers. So he built computers, he fixed computers, he spoke computers. You know, it was 
he was creative in that aspect. My mom was, you know, my mom is from Panama. She was born and raised in Panama, came to the States, um, and then ended up working at LAUSD. So my mom was always like the go-to person for translations, you know? So my mom was creative in a way to just deal with people. But I think for me, I think it was just more of giving me, giving myself an opportunity to learn about what it is that I could possibly do. I was never the kid to sit still. Even though I was quiet, I never learned how to sit still. So I never wanted to sit still. So I always wanted to do something. So, you know, that's how I started coming up with different things for like church and for like friends and family, coming with different games, organize it, you know, it's just some simple stuff like that. But I think most of it just came from me being curious on my own. I love that because uh, I personally relate. I feel like one of my traits is, is just that I'm a curious person. And that's like led me to where I am. So that's so cool to hear you say that. Um, I love that. I was wondering, did that creativity, like were you naturally drawn to storytelling? Like you talked about a play and obviously now you're in, in film and media and, um, but really with the strong storytelling element, was that always the thing you were most drawn to? Uh, ironically, you know, it's crazy. When I was younger, my mom and my pastor used to, well, my pastor more than my mom. Um, but he told me that I was going to be a minister. Um, really? He, yeah, he told me that I was going to be a minister and actually gave me a shot at actually preaching during church one day. And that was, it, was, it was an experience because I had to learn how to take notes. I had to learn how to figure out what to do. But I had to figure out how to keep people engaged Mm-hmm. into like what did I what I was saying and a lot of it was based off of you know me talking because I I mean I was nine ten years old 11 years old I don't really know much about the bible so yeah. I, I can't go into the bible and say okay so if you go to this scripture right here this uh-huh. is what this means I couldn't do that so I had to rely on telling them stories I had to rely on getting them interested in what I had to say. Now, granted, they're my family because it was a family church, so they were going to listen to me anyway. But that still didn't help, like, stop me from like, all right, so I'm going to tell you all about <laughs> this. And then, you know, I think after that, it was it was super, super great. And then later on down the line, I found out that my mom and my pastor had that same conversation and um, talking about me ministering. And my mom told me that, she didn't see it. She was okay. And I think he was okay if I wasn't doing it in front of a congregation as far as a church, but I've definitely seen myself ministering to people. I mean, just from me being a coach, me being a director, me being a friend, mm-hmm. I've definitely ministered. So I've still kept that mindset, that, that task, but I just took a different approach to it. And I think that's, that's what really helped me out a lot. Yeah, I was going to say that actually totally makes sense with everything that I know about you. <laughs> like, oh, that's another piece of the puzzle falling into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so clearly the church has been really influential throughout your whole life, right? Yes, it has. Yes, okay. it has. That's awesome. So how would you say your family has influenced where you are today? My family is a big part of where, of where I am today only because... I've always loved my family. Um, no matter how many times they got on my nerves, no matter how many times me and my cousins wrestled in the front line because we didn't like each other for that moment in time, 
or no matter how many times that my aunties wanted to beat me up for or beat my ass for whatever reason, you know, just because I did something I wasn't supposed to do. I, I always loved my family. That's just the reality of it. You know, I think my family has always shown a great amount of support in everything that I've done. Um, they've always influenced me from the perspective of uh, encouragement. Like it wasn't, it didn't matter what I was doing. They just wanted to make sure that I was doing okay. And if I needed help, they were there. And my family has been there since day one. Ironically, the craziest thing in the world is uh, if I have a story to tell, when I was shooting The Rule, I was shooting my TV series, The Rule, in January. And a lot of the money that I had to come up with was on my own. But I wasn't working, so I didn't have enough to really do everything I needed to do. Um, but I spoke to my family, and my uncle provided enough money for me to rent out a location in Lamarck Park and actually drove to Lamarck Park to deliver it to me. And then um, I spoke to my aunts about it, and I found out that my grandmother, my great, my great grand, my grandmother, she's like, she's 91 years old right now. So she was, she was 90 at the time when she did this, but she provided $400 toward the budget for the film. And they, and because of what they did, I was able to get everything that I needed done. And that was a great thing for me. Cause I was like, yo, like my family is like here, like, well, like, this is crazy. And it wasn't a sense of like, I can't believe they were here, but it was like, I'm thankful that they're here. So my family has definitely influenced me from an encouragement standpoint. They just really, they have really been there for me since day one. My grandmother is my best friend. My grandfather is my best friend as well, but he passed four years ago. Oh. So it's, it's been, I've always wanted to make sure that if I, and it's not even just immediate family, like friends that I consider family, like that's how it is. If I consider you family, I'm going to always be there for you regardless because I love my family. So no matter if you're blood, no matter if you're coming on from college or high school or after or whatever the case is, once I consider you family, like you're can take, you're taken care of like for life. I love that. That's that loyalty. Yeah. You have to uh, be. So you're like one of the most positive people I know. Do you think that that, have you always been that way? Do you think that that came from the church and your faith or from this encouragement and support of your family from both or are you just wired that way you know it's funny I think it came from my parents divorce really yes and I think because I was going through a lot as a, like I said I, I was a father I was a, a daddy's boy so yeah. when my dad wasn't around I had to figure out ways to to keep my happiness mm -hmm. you know and you know even going into high school and then graduating high school in 2003, excuse me, and then going to college right after, he was one of those people that was like, you got to stay in school, you got to stay in school. And the only reason why was because he didn't go to, he didn't stay in school. So he wanted to make sure I did. Mm -hmm. So he emphasized school so much that after a while I rebelled and I was like, I'm not, you want me to go to school. So I'm not going to go to school because you want me to go to school. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that really helped me was I found I started to find things that I like to do and that made me happy. And I told myself, like, I want to make sure that I maintain this happiness. And I wanted to make sure that I maintain this positivity. And only because I knew what would have happened. Like the statistics will show that that black, black little black boys 
And young black men that are, are, are in a family that have their parents divorced don't often make it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to prove that I could make it without focusing on that aspect because that wasn't on my mind. But I wanted to just, re- I just wanted to remain positive about everything that I was doing. And it helped me that I started to learn how to be more creative. So like in college and high school, I was, you know, playing basketball. I was um, coaching when I got out of high school, when I got into college, that journey started in 2007. So from like 2007 to today, I've been coaching kids. So that really helped me out. And I think I had to be positive for them too, because, you know, I didn't want them to experience what I experienced when I was their age. I didn't want them to see somebody, you know, put their faith in them and then it being taken away for whatever reason. So I had to remain positive for the kids. And then in that turn, I remained positive for me and then dealing with their parents and then dealing with anybody that was around. It was like, I'm going to just remain positive because there's too much going on in this world to even even think about being negative. Man, <laughs> you can't be like four sets of chills. <laughs> That's so real. Wow. So, so yeah, coaching obviously is huge in, in your life, but in, in your community and um, yeah. kind of a pillar for these kids. How has that changed you? It's actually made me a better person only because you deal with so many different personalities as kids. Mm-hmm. And then you deal with what they dealt with at home. So it's it's a combination of dealing with that child in that moment when you're with them, but also them bringing whatever they are dealing with before to wherever you are in that moment. So you may have, like I like I kid you not, when I worked at Lake Street, I was there for almost five years. I dealt with so many different types of kids. And even before I got to Lake Street, I was at Seoul and I worked with so many different kids. The idea that I had was, I don't know what's going on with these kids. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, the kids are like, oh, I want to try to do something. I'm like, no, you don't, you shouldn't do that because they're possibly getting that at home. So I would encourage them to do stuff. Now, granted, I would give them parameters like, all right, so you can do that, but let's try to do it within this. Let's try not to do it this way. Let's try to do it this way. And I would start teaching them different ways. But the one thing that I realized is that these kids, you don't know what they're going through. And sometimes they don't know how to express their feelings or deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with. And a lot of these kids don't have the people in their life to teach them how to deal with these things. Mm -hmm. So going back to my childhood, I didn't, I had my family, but nobody immediately was like sitting down with me and telling me, you need to do this this way. You You can do it. There was no like immediate encouragement from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be that force for them. And growing up with a lot of these kids and seeing these kids, I still have, I kid you not, there's a kid that works at the store down the street from my house. He still calls me coach to this day. And he's like, <laughs> almost, he's almost like 30. Wow. But the thing is, I coached him when he was like 13, 14. And he still calls me coach. He like, I, I, almost, I almost think he doesn't even know my name right now. <laughs> But that's that's what it's been, you know, like you always want to provide some stability for the kids, even if it's a, a small ounce of it. You want to provide that because then they'll hold on to that ounce and be like, I want to keep this. I want to try to keep this going. And then they want to keep coming back to the park. Then the parents are coming. It's like, I appreciate what you did for my kids. And it's like ever since you did this for my kids, they've been wanting to do it. 
And that's the app. That's how I've been with every child that I've ever, you know, interacted with. And that's what I've actually brought to every team. So like, that's how it's supposed to be for these kids. You give them that stability, even if their parents are giving it to them, they may be dealing with something that their parents don't know. If you can give them that, that bit of stability, then they take that with them for the rest of their lives. Wow. That is huge. <laughs> That's what, <laughs> clearly you are having an impact. That's amazing. Yeah. I love what I do. Good. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell just by how you talk about it. Oh, yes. So kind of you have these parallel paths. You have the coaching and being really involved in your community and mm -hmm. mentoring. Um, but yes. then you also have photography and videography and, and filmmaking and media. Yes. So yeah. tell me about that side, the creative endeavors. Like how, how did um, you come into your own as a photographer and a filmmaker? You know, it's crazy. I would say I have to thank BET for that. Oh, okay. Yes. I actually have to thank BET for that because when I... I actually got an internship at BET in 2010. Now, granted, I was never a big social media person, but, and I had Twitter and I never used it for a whole year. I literally created an account and then sat in dust for like a whole year. <laughs> so I never used it. So I was like, what the hell is the point of this? Like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know how to say what I need to say in 140 characters. I didn't even know what the 140 characters were, but I was like, all right, let me just go on one day and see what's on it. And when I was on it, I saw a post for an internship at BET. So I was like, um, all right, well, let's see what this is about. So I applied, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I just like, you know what, let me see. So I applied and I got the internship and I was there for about four years and I learned a lot of it. I was in the original programming department. So I was around, you know, around the time that the game came back to BET, um, mm -hmm. you know, read between the lines came back or it was created um, I had a few other things. Let's Stay Together was around. Keisha Cole's um, uh, reality show was up. Trey Song's reality show was there. So there was a lot of stuff that was going on. And I think I was able to really learn a lot of what it took to really put a show out because I was also on the side for development. So it's just a lot, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, everything that's been going on. But I was able to learn a lot of like original programming and development. And then I got to know more people in different departments. So I got to learn casting and I got to learn post-production and I got to learn producing, you know, and then I was able to, you know, learn a lot from a friend of mine who actually is running his own production company right now. He actually runs and owns this network. And he, I, you know, I, I always wanted to figure out what he was doing with his brothers because at that time him and his brothers had a production company inside of BET. And they were doing a lot of things. And I, I wanted to learn, you know, from different aspects. So, you know, fast forward to 2014, I had to just figure out a lot of things for myself. This is, you know, this is the journey part of me being curious. Um, so I picked up a camera and I started, so if I'm going to film, I got to learn the camera. So if I need to learn the camera, I need to take photos. So if I'm going to take photos, I might as well take photos for other people. And if I take photos for other people, other people are going to start looking and seeing. And I'm like, well, I need to hire this guy. Then I'm going to start working and working and working. And then I met um, Jude and I started working basketball beauties and I'm doing, I'm doing photography for them. I met uh, my friend Danny and, you know, the guy who runs Silky Socks. I started doing promo for him. 
and you know that kind of expanded into a lot of stuff that i started to do from like the videography standpoint photography standpoint um i did promo commercials i did photo shoots i did you know all kinds of stuff for them and then you know it just started to figure out like well i want to start doing things on my own and then that's when i created like different you know photo series and you know that kind of twit that actually just turned into what i'm doing now because the photo series that i started to do one of them was the 80 20 series and that's when i depicted different rules from the 80 20 rule and then eventually somebody's like you should turn that into a series fast forward to 2019 and me and my friend kayla started writing the series for the rule and then it went from photography in 2010 to filmmaking in 2020. that's literally how it transitioned into that it was just piece by piece one thing led to another, one thing led to another, and then one thing led to me meeting somebody, and then that led to me working with them, then that led to me creating something, and then fast forward to 2020 and a pandemic hit. Now, if I you know, were to talk about it right now, as in like October 23rd, 2020, I have about 30 projects in development. 30? What? 30, <laughs> yes, <Wow>. yes. <laughs> 30. That's amazing. Thank you. So I love that story because you you really piece by piece built it up and it's that perseverance and dedication to the craft and putting mm -hmm. positivity and, and good work out there. Um, I think that's just yeah. an amazing lesson for everyone. Yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing that I took away from it was it's a process, you know? Um, it, it's a process that a lot of people don't have a lot of patience for. And I think I think right now with social media being incredibly um, popular, people want things to happen right away. And it's like I've been working at this for ten years. It's not like you know people are like, oh, they just see what they want to see. They just see the the post that you put up, and then the praise that you're getting. And they're like, Excuse me, I want to do that. And they're like, I right, but I have ten years worth of like heartache and pains and no's and closed doors and yeses. A few of them. And people telling me I work with you and people not working with me. I have 10 years of, of going through that and I'm still going through it. But that 10 years, it really helped me learn the patience that I needed. And I think working with certain people helped. But the main thing that helped was my structure from being around my family and understanding that people are going to be able to help whenever they can. And the ministering helped because, you know, you have to talk to people to get them to believe in what it is that you want them to do with you. And a lot of it, it just all came back. Like everything that I probably learned from my entire life is helping me right now in film because I can't just tell you, I can't just tell you, Hey, I'm going to shoot a film. Why don't you do it with me? And they're like, sure. But you gotta, you gotta encourage them to, you know, for them to be able to talk about what it is that you're doing. Yeah. You need to so that's, yeah, so it, it all it all came together, like the ministering, the church, the family aspect, the loyalty, and then learning everything I learned from BET and learning the different departments and learning from different people and then utilizing all of that for like my own company. And now I have my production company, 30 projects in development, working on a few things, working on a few deals. So it's it's been great, but it's been a process. And I want people to understand well, no matter what it is that you're going to do, especially if you're doing it on your own, it's going to be a process. There's going to be days where you're going to feel like you quit, like you want to quit. There's going to be days where you feel like you don't want to do it anymore. But then there's going to be days where you're going to wake up and that's all you think about. Take advantage of those days. 
take advantage of the days where you wake up and you want to do it because then it, it leaves a footprint for, for the days that you don't. Because sometimes when you look at what you're doing and you're happy about it, and you're positive about it, you write a whole bunch of things. And I suggest everybody that ever wants to do anything, get a whiteboard. Heck, don't get one, get three and put <laughs> it up everywhere and write down everything that you need to, that you need to do for everything. So that when you're unaware of what something is or what you need to do or whatever the case is, then you can write that down and then you can look at it later. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love that. I love the hacks, the, the tips on how, how your process works. Um, so those are little things that can make a big difference of just yes. staying focused or um, sometimes even getting out of your own head and just putting it out there um mm -hmm. so that you can you can visualize it yeah yeah it's important because a lot of people in the process of doing what it is that we're doing a lot of it you know I, and i learned this through film now granted film and every other business is probably going to be different but the process is still the same you have to create a template you have to be in, in a position to detail everything that your dream is about so that whoever were to pick it up after it would be able to know what it is that they can do. And it's not for them to take over, but it's for them to understand your process. Because if you want your business to keep growing, they have to learn your process in order for it to be continued. Because you know what it is that you want to do for your business. Nobody else does. And unless you share that information with somebody, they're going to assume what your business is about. And then they're going to run off with their assumptions and something may happen later on down the line where you like, why is this happening? And they're like, well, I just figured this is what I, I, I kind of took the initiative to kind of do it this way, but they're doing it because they didn't understand that person's dream. So like me writing scripts, I'm sending it to people and they're like, it's good, but it doesn't leave room for other people to come in and be creative. It doesn't leave room for other people to come in and understand what it is that you're trying to do and then add their element to it. Because when you work with people, you're not just working with that person. You're also working with that person's creativity. And when you involve that person's creativity, that creativity that you're working with may be the piece that you're missing. But if you don't give them the room to be creative, you won't understand and ever know if that was a piece you were missing. Wow, <laughs> you're spitting. <laughs> I think that is so valuable, obviously, for creatives, um, but for businesses, absolutely, as well, you know, defining mm -hmm. that vision, and then, so everyone knows the end, end goal and is on board and buys in, but then giving them the space to put their own stamp on it so that it's better than what any one person could do individually. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. So, we work together, uh, well... This was your project, and I supported in a small way on um, Fight the Force. <laughs> um, for people who aren't familiar, tell me about that project and um, the impact that you feel that it's had. Yeah, Fight the Force came about after, I want to say in 2017. I really wanted to come out with, the, with a, new photo, a new photo series. And the idea that I had was to get a woman in a white dress or a white outfit with a gold crown and I wanted to take a picture of them in the middle of LA somewhere. It's almost seemed like, you know, to let women, to let people know, like to see women actually running the town, people run, they, they women run the city. 
Um, but then I thought about my mom and everything that she's went through. And the one thing that I realized is that she has done a lot, but the amount of credit that she has received for the amount of things that she's done is very disproportionate. So she doesn't get a lot of credit. And I wanted her to enjoy that the fruits of her labor. You know, she she's done, she's worked for LAUSD since 1977. You know, like just imagine how long that is. Mm-hmm. And even even then, she still is like three or four years from retirement. So she's done a lot of stuff, and a lot a lot of people haven't really respected or given her that recognition. So I can just imagine that if my mom didn't get it, there's a lot of other women that didn't. So I wanted to create a film to where not only just women, but other people would see what women have done and give them that credit. So I detailed all the, well, not all, but a bunch of things between like 1993 to 2018 that women have done that changed the landscape for women and in different, in different areas like media, entertainment, politics, you know, I wanted to kind of detail those things. Now, granted, I know there's a bunch of other things I didn't reach out, I didn't touch on, but touched on a bunch of things in, a, in, a, in that 25-year gap. And I wanted to just basically get point of views from different women and highlight women who are doing great things in the community. That's where I got, where I was able to get you. Um, and then I was able to get my friend Idea, who teaches a blind dance company. So there's a lot that I was able to do through that for my mom, for other women, but also... It was my way of um, paying homage to Queen Latifah, you know, and she's been doing an, a, an incredible job for the past 30 years. Um, but in 1993, she came out with uh, UNITY, and that song still resonates today. And that's really what all women want is just the unity. Like, I think if women were to come together and really work together. I don't I don't think this world would stand a chance and I don't think anybody would be able to stand in their way. But what I what I realized is that she's a beacon for a lot of women. You know, if Queen Latifah didn't do what she did on Ladies First, uh, on, you know, Black Rain on the Black Rain album, all the way to like acting on Just Right and and, and a lot of other things and set it off. Like the amount of things that she's been able to do has been miraculous and been incredible. And she deserves that credit too. So I wanted to make sure that I highlighted a bunch of that into one film. And since then, I've actually turned Fight the Force into a nonprofit organization. And now we're working on creating a uh, course or courses for youth and adults to learn every aspect of film, film and television production. So that's the next step in the, in, in the evolution of Fight the Force. That is just so cool. And I'm so proud for you. (laughs) So proud of you and honored um, that I got to be a small part of it. So I I just, I have to say, and you kind of spoke to this, but I just love that so much of what you do and your projects and your work focuses on supporting women and especially supporting women of color and black women, obviously your um, mom being a Panamanian, you know, just really highlighting their experiences and empowering them. Um, and I think you don't see that enough coming from men. Um, so it's you just know. amazing. Yeah, it, it's crazy because if you look at my family, I'm surrounded by girls and women. And then when I did the Women's Drew League and I did the Basketball Beauties, I was surrounded by women. 
And when I went to school, I was surrounded by women. And when I went to coach, the one thing that I wanted to coach was young girls. And I, I was able to do all of that, but I've been surrounded by women, you know, of all different ages. And the one thing that I realized is that no matter how different they are in age, they still go through the same problems. And the one biggest problem is they're not looked at as equals to, and to, to, the, to the guys or to the boys. And a lot of these girls, a lot of these women can do way more than some of these girls can do. Heck, there's, there's a lot of these girls and women who do more than I can. And I'm learning from them. You know, there's, that's just the reality of it. I don't, I don't think what you learned, or, or, I mean, what you learn or what you pick up or what you experience should be gender-based. Like if I see, a, if I see a woman doing something, I'm not doing, I'm not following her, trying to learn from her because she's a woman. I'm learning from her because she knows what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to, and that's how it's supposed to be. You know, like I don't, I don't go out there and say, I'm going to go find a woman that can do this so I can learn from her. I know if a guy can do it, I'll learn from him. If a, if a woman can do it, I'm gonna learn from her. That's just the reality of it. I just happened to be surrounded by a bunch of women that I learned a lot from. And I wanted to make sure I got give them their credit. I need to give them their roses. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. I love that. So uh, I wanted to ask you, you are very proudly Afro-Latino. Oh, yes. Has that been hard for you to navigate these kind of dual identities? Um, what has that experience been like throughout your life? And I, I recently just had a talk with my mom and I just had a talk with my uncle. Um, and I found out, I mean, if you look at a lot of Afro-Latinos, Afro-Latinas, Afro-Latin, you know, when you, when you look at a lot of their stories, they come from the Caribbean, they come from Central America, then they go to New York and then they go from New York to all, the, all these other places, LA, Atlanta, Texas, wherever they want to go. But somehow, someway, a lot of them touch base in New York and then go. My family, unfortunately, not saying unfortunately, but my family didn't stop in the East Coast. My family came straight to California. My grandmother came to California on a, on a, on a work visa. And then she, her sisters and her brothers would come and live with her and then they would branch off into do do you know into other places of California on a work visa too. And then a few of my uncles went into the military. So, you know, learning that history now is is crazy because as when I when I was growing up, I didn't like I hung out with my mom's side of the family and I hung out with my dad's side of the family because my dad has roots in Texas, my grandfather is from Galveston, Texas. Um, and I also have roots on my dad's side of the family in like, you know, New Orleans and, and Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, we had like, they have the Southern roots. Then my mom growing up in Central America, you know, my grandmother having six brothers and five sisters and my mom having, you know, a sister and my dad having three sisters. The, the, the thing that I realized quickly was how different they were. And of course, I didn't try to, you know, as a kid, I'm not going to see what's the differences. What, what, how do you do this? How does it, you know, I didn't look at the differences. But as I grow up, I started to learn the differences. But the one thing that I realized is that growing up, I didn't understand my mom's side of the family as much as I wanted to. Uh-huh. So I, I was, I was born, like I was born in, in America and I knew that I was Panamanian. And I would ask questions, but not enough to be like, all right, so let me think about the history. It wasn't until I want to say a year ago that I really, really started to delve into like the history on both sides of my family. 
Um, and then with me writing the series, I wanted to really delve into my own story. Like, so how, how was it for my own family? Um, and the one thing that I realized is that I didn't give myself an opportunity to learn my mother's side of the family a lot. So like the Latin side of me, I didn't really focus too much on it because growing up, my mom has always spoke Spanish. But when she spoke to us, we would respond to her in English. So we, un like me and my brothers understand Spanish really well. It was, we didn't respond to you in Spanish. We would respond to you in English. Okay. So that's how it was for me. So like, even to this day, like I can, like if somebody were to speak to me in Spanish, I can, I can respond to them in English. Cause even when I even travel and people are like talking about me in Spanish and they don't think I know Spanish. And then I respond to them and tell them what they said. And they're like, oh my God, he actually understood what I was trying to say. I was like, yeah, I can speak Spanish. <laughs> I just, you know, yeah. but that, that's just the reality of it. I didn't, I didn't grow up with too much of the Latin influence. I grew up more with African-American influence than I did with the Latin influence. I was around my family, but I didn't, I wasn't around them to the point where like I was exposed to like Panama. Okay. Yeah. I was exposed to like America. And it sounds like as, as you've grown older and learned more, it's been your effort to like connect with that side mm -hmm. of you and that culture and really like bring forth those roots. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm even taking, um, I mean, for a lot of people, even when I was in high school, I used to, I was able to speak Spanish and I had an accent. Most people didn't know. Well, my teacher was from Argentina and she was like, every time I spoke Spanish in class, she was like, I can tell you how the accent, where are, you, where are your parents from? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and then even to like fast forward to now, like I'm picking up Spanish lessons, you know, on like an app or whatever, just to kind of give myself up because the one thing that I had never gave myself an opportunity was to really, really, truly learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know Spanish. I know how to speak basic Spanish. I, I can definitely do that. I understand it a lot more than I can speak it. I can write it. And I found out in high school that a lot of, a lot of Latin people don't know how to write Spanish, but they can mm -hmm. speak it. So, you know, I was able to learn a few things, but I never really gave myself the opportunity to fully learn it like I want to. So now I'm picking up the Spanish lessons. And I know if my mom heard that, she'd probably smack me in the back of my head because <laughs> I've, I've, had a, I've had a teacher for my entire life. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. I just think, you know, I'm grateful that I'm learning that side of my family now. Yeah. And I'm grateful for the things that I'm learning because, man, my parents really taught me a lot. But if you look at my grandmother on my mom's side, my grandfather, their father, their, you know, the family on that side, they've all been through a whole lot of mess. And like, even with this pandemic, my uncle was talking to his brother in Panama and he was in the house at like five o'clock. And the reason why is because it's a whole lot stricter in Panama for everything that's happening with COVID. So like if they have certain days that they're able to go outside and if they are outside on a day that they're not supposed to, they could be fined and thrown in jail. Wow. You know, and it's like we have this freedom of living in a in a in a country where we're able to do a certain amount of things because we're we're able to. But there's people in other parts of the country or other you know countries that aren't able to do that. And we often take a lot of what we do here in the states for granted. And that's really what's really helped me try to learn more about that side of the family 
is because I, re- I really want to know what they what they go through. You know, like I don't I, I don't think I can physically like deal with it because it's just too much. Um, but I, I, I want to know my family, you know, so I, I definitely like, it's, you know, envision myself taking a trip to Panama, you know, when I get, when I, when I get wealthy, I'm, I'm going to say that again. When I get wealthy, I'm buying a house. <laughs> when you get wealthy. I love that. Yes. I'm buying a house in Panama for sure. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's just really interesting to hear your experience. Um, because yeah, those are two different parts of you. And um, from what I've heard from a lot of people, a lot of Afro-Latinos, the world may see them as one um, one of those identities, even if they um, really connect with both. So um, thank you yeah. for sharing your experience. So I wanna ask you through all of these projects that you have, um, the mentorship that you do, all of the stuff that you have going on, how do you stay inspired? Man, that's a good question. Uh, it definitely ranges. But I would say the number one thing is, I would say my biggest inspiration is my little sister. Only because I want to be able to provide. And I think if I can provide something for her, it goes to like whenever I have kids, provide something for them and continue to leave a legacy. So if I had to really sum it up with one word, the one thing that inspires me is legacy, only because I want to, I want people to understand that this blueprint that I created is a blueprint that a lot of people can use. Um, I want people to understand, you know, that regardless of whatever it is that you want to do with your life, the same rules that apply, that I apply to mine is the same rules that they can apply to them. You know, Nipsey is always talking about um, the, mar- the, the marathon continuing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and him creating a blueprint for a lot of artists. And I think that inspiration in itself um, is a big influence, you know, without realizing it, without focusing so much on like his message, but just his approach to things. And that was the biggest thing for me is legacy, because, you know, he's left the legacy. Kobe has left the legacy. You know, there's a lot of people that have passed that have left the legacy and, regardless of whatever you may say about them or whatever has been covered, the one thing you cannot deny is their legacy. And I want to be able to be that next person that creates a legacy that um, other people can look at later and be like, yo, he did it. So because he did it, I know I can. Or the kids that I grew up, that, that I coached when they grow up, they can say, I remember when Jason told me this, or if they're able to like call me for whatever reason, like, I want to be able to still be an encouragement to them. So it's all about legacy. I want to be able to make sure that when I stopped doing, when I stopped doing this, like, it, it continues. Like, if I build a business, I want to be able to be, I want to be in a position to where I can put somebody else in charge mm-hmm. and they still run the business the way that I would. And they continue to do it and it keeps getting passed on. So, like, I'm actually working on a new business right now that will be that generational business. Um, only because it's important, you know, it's important to leave a legacy for other people, but it's even more important to leave a legacy for your own family. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and that's what I want to work on. You know, a lot of people are, uh, dreamers. A lot of people are dreamers and a lot of people are visionaries. Um, and I, I often say you don't want to be a creative, you want to be a visionary only because creative people are given, are using 
experiences and tools from other people to be creative. Um, visionaries are the ones that come up with these ideas for these creatives to use. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like with, uh, I know Buster Rhymes was a part of the leaders of the new school. So I created something called visionaries of the new school. And I want to start creating, you know, different people to be visionaries because this world needs a, a big refresh and the refresh can't come from, it just can't come from ideas that have already been done. There are a bunch of things that haven't been done that people can do according to what has already been presented to them. So like I can say I'm a photographer, but if I start doing things differently, that is a new branch of photography that nobody has ever seen. The element of photography is the same, but the approach is different. And that's what you want people to do is you want people to approach things differently and, and create some more stuff. But that's the visionary in them to see what hasn't been done for them to create it. So I, I want to say legacy for sure. And, you know, being a visionary, that's what keeps me inspired through everything. Because I just want to be able to say, like, I did it my way. You know, my well, before my grandfather passed, the song that he made me listen to forever in a day was My Way by Frank Sinatra. And he kept telling me, like, the song is him. He embodies the song. And every time I listen to it now, I can see my grandfather smiling at me and, and singing it with me. And um, it's uh, it's it's a thing that he taught me, you know. Um, and I think because he did things his way, he was okay with how his life was. He was grateful for his life. He was excited for what we can do with ours because he showed us that example. But he left that legacy for us, and I want to be able to leave a legacy for other people as well. I love that. That's. <laughs> we can't we can't do better than that <laughs> so on that note <laughs> we're gonna finish off i finish off every interview with a little lightning round okay um so just first thing that comes to your head um can be quick or you can you can go in deep all right you ready yes all right what scares you big as dogs <laughs> I'm, right. not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a big person so if I see a dog you damn near coming up to my my waist like okay well I'm gonna run the other direction <laughs> that's smart <laughs> <laughs> all right what are you most proud of me I'm proud of myself for keeping myself this busy and keeping myself this productive I'm definitely proud of myself Hell yeah that's the one thing I, I that's the one thing I don't give my, uh, myself credit for I'm definitely proud of myself so I'm gonna give myself that credit I support that. <laughs> when are you at your best? Whenever I am awake. Ooh, that's good. Yes. All right. How do you define success? Being happy with what you're doing every single day. Mm -hmm. Like right. success is, is, is you know, according to that. Like, honestly, we all define our own success. But my success is being happy with what I'm doing. I have success every single day just for waking up and doing what I do. All right. And finally, how do you want to be remembered? That's a good question. How do I want to be remembered? I mean, I talked about legacy and things like that, but if I want to say I want to be remembered as that person that did it his way. Yes. Regardless what? of anything, I want to be remembered as a person that did it his way. That's perfect. You got to right. do the right thing. We did it. <laughs> yes, yes. We did it. I love it. 
If you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned for more to come or visit LizMarieStrategy.com for more resources, stories, and insights for creatives and entrepreneurs.